Today we are joined by Lindsay Reno. Lindsay is a prior teacher and teacher transition expert. In this series, we discuss what it looks like to really make the transition, what tools, tips, and tricks can you make, as well as we learn all about what it took to become a project manager at Canva. So tune in, turn it up, and we can't wait to share this interview with you. Hi everyone, and welcome back to my channel. My name is Lena Marie Solid at Tech Guru. I wanna thank you so much for spending time with me on this journey, for all the support that you give me, and for following along. Don't forget to hit the thumbs up button, subscribe, and let's get ready to do this. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Teacher Transition Series. Today, we are joined by Lindsay Reno, and she is a product manager at Canva. And so, Lindsay, how are you doing today? Great. Thank you, Lena. I'm excited to be here. Me too. I'm very excited for you to share your journey with everyone and they can learn a little bit more about you. So first, we'd like to start off with how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, great question. So I started my career as a teacher. I was a sixth grade English teacher in the Boston area. Um, some things I really loved about teaching, I loved working one-on-one -on -one with students. Um, I got a lot of value out of those relationships. I loved lesson planning and sort of thinking through how to take a scope and sequence and figure out, you know, what each, each day would look like. Um, some things that were really difficult for me, uh, classroom management. I really, really struggled um, to just sort of run a tight ship, especially in the ways that uh, my school's culture uh, demanded. Um, and I just generally found it really hard. My, my mental health started suffering um, pretty acutely as I realized I couldn't quite keep up with all the emotional demands of being a teacher. It was a lot. It was kind of a roller coaster. Um, and I just didn't quite feel like it was it was the right fit for me. I wasn't feeling like the best version of myself. Um, and I wanted to start looking into different careers. Um, I had no idea, though, what what that would look like. I, I studied. Uh, education as a minor. Um, and as a teacher, I didn't really have the time to cultivate a lot of other hobbies or, or you know, sort of learn about what else is out there. So I was kind of stuck. Um, and after I quit my teaching job, I remember kind of, kind of looking online. Um, I didn't really know how to write a resume. I didn't really know, you know, who to reach out to or what to do. I remember in the span of one week, I applied to like entry-level mental health coordinator jobs and like sales positions at companies and then like curriculum design jobs all at once because I was so all over the place. I really didn't uh, know what would be a good fit for me. Um, and luckily the world kind of helped me figure out um, which paths made more sense than others. I think as I started doing a few initial inf informational interviews, I realized that I, I would be really interested in um, a job writing curriculum. Um, and because that was something I was really strong at as a teacher. Um, and so I, my first job out of the classroom was actually working as um, a curriculum designer for an education technology company called uh, Freckle. Um, so I would be, I was writing the math questions and the English questions and social studies units um, and really going deep on the, on the learning design side of things. Um, and I really, really loved that job. Amazing people, really liked the product. Um, but as I was look, working there, I started realizing that there was this new field that I hadn't heard of before called product management that really piqued my curiosity, um, where I'd kind of get to work with the engineers, the software engineers uh, at Freckle, and also the, the 
designers who actually determine what the application looked and felt like. And I get to work with them to kind of prioritize features uh, and figure out uh, what to build next. So I started kind of consulting in that role in, in while I was doing curriculum design, just because they didn't have a lot of former teachers on the team who could help provide guidance about uh, what teachers and students actually needed. Um, and then when an entry-level sort of associate product manager position opened up on the team, I had kind of already built that trust and they were like, Lindsay, why don't you come do this? Uh, so I worked as a product manager there uh, for a few years, really loved it, got the chance to, to grow in that craft, um, and then hopped over to Canva about a year ago uh, to work on the education product here. So that that's a the long-winded version of of my journey so far. Yeah, and I think I think what I love about that though is that everybody's <laughs> we kind of talked a bit offline. Everyone's journey to out of I guess education is always a little bit different and everyone has different hardships and strengths and different things like that. And I think a consistency that we've heard actually over the series is a lot of a lot of former teachers talking about mental health and just like the struggle in the classroom. And, you know, you're being vulnerable enough to say that classroom management was like your biggest deal of, you know, and what kind of caused you stress and anxiety. And I think we've kind of heard that across the board, I think, from most teachers that have kind of left the field. Um, when you did actually make the transition, yeah. um, how did you, how did your mental health improve when you did actually, you know, kind of make that leap? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, it's, it's sad to admit that things had kind of gotten bad enough for me emotionally that the, that the relief I felt was pretty palpable. Like as, as soon as I quit um, and woke up the next day and knew that I, I didn't have this teaching job anymore, I was, I felt quite a bit better, which I know is not the experience. You know, I have a ton of friends who are still um, in the classroom and a ton of friends who've made more difficult decisions to leave. Um, and their feelings are a lot more mixed. They feel a lot of, you know, sadness or, um, or sort of guilt, which I should admit, I also did feel guilt. Like that, that's the hard thing about being a teacher is you feel this sense that you're responsible for all these young lives to an extent. And you just don't feel like it's, your place to kind of leave. But the overwhelming feeling was relief. And it was pretty immediate because I knew I was making a choice that was better for my health and my and my relationship. So even though I was unemployed, um, I felt better pretty quickly. And I feel like that, you know, it's it's nerve wracking. I, I talked to so many teachers about kind of the trade off between wanting the stability of of having a job and also, you know, needing that if, if you're really going to commit to a job search, you actually need the time and mental space to do that. And it's really hard to do both at once. And so I was lucky enough um, to be able to take, you know, a, a couple months off to look for a job. Um, and that really, really helped me kind of get my bearings, figure out what I was interested in, um, and, and sort of fall in my face a few times, because it's not like a super smooth process to, to change careers at all. So, so definitely I've, I feel very lucky in that regard that, that I had the privilege of taking some time off, uh, to, to start looking. Yeah, that does help. Um, and <clears throat> similar to you, I kind of did that, what, we, what I like to call spray and pray, like just kind of threw out, a, yep. like applications to everything, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then eventually I was just like, okay, I started interviewing it, like all these, like you know, setting up exhibits in Costco and like, just like whatever, <laughs> just to kind of take interviews to practice. Yeah. Um, and, and same thing with you. Like I just started to like really hone in what I really wanted to do and yep. what direction I wanted to go. But you mentioned informational interviews, which, yep. um, 
that's been coming up a lot, I think on like on LinkedIn and networking and things like that, because now the market is way more competitive than it probably ever has been. But what are some steps really? that you actually did take to make the transition? Yeah. So I want to touch that that last piece is so true because uh, in the past couple of years with so many teachers leaving due to the pandemic, I do feel like the game has changed completely where it's like teachers are are competing against literally thousands of applicants for most, you know, open ed tech positions, which is just wild and, and makes it really difficult. I feel like it was a little easier, you know, six years ago or when I, whenever it was that I left. Um, but I do. So a few a few steps that I took, um, I re, I kind of talked to a lot of my friends and acquaintances in kind of education adjacent fields to understand a little more about what they did and whether or not it would be interesting to me. Um, I I sort of looked looked into a lot. Of, I I left no stone unturned. Like I found job boards that were specifically geared toward education. I did go to like in-person job fairs that they had in Boston related to education. Um, I I think I started to be most successful when I was able to shift from that spray and pray. So like like you said, I was I was literally applying to things that were so different from each other. And those interviews actually went badly um, when it was a field that wasn't a good fit for me. Either I just didn't hear back from anyone um, for that was, you know, when I was interested in mental health jobs, I'm pretty sure my resume never made it to anyone's desk because I'm not qualified. I don't have any of the relevant qualifications um, with things like sales or, you know, customer success in some of these companies. I did have an initial phone screen or two um, with people at those companies. But I think it was pretty clear from my lack of interest when they described what the role would actually look like that I wasn't a very good fit. And then it was clear to me at the end of the call that I wasn't a good fit. So, you know, some of it was was a lot of trial and error. I don't think I was as systematic as I could have been. But once I settled on curriculum design, it got a lot easier where I realized, oh, this job at this company, I'm actually really excited about it. And so then that allowed me to prepare way better where I, I had the mental space to actually you know, update my resume so that it looked like I was most interested in in curriculum design jobs and like curate a LinkedIn profile. None of those things you're really able to do until you make that first choice about what general area you're focused on because you're too scattered, um, which which makes it difficult. Yeah. When you were, this is something we talk about, I think a lot, obviously, is like upskilling. Was there any like specific upskilling yeah. or anything that you needed to do to basically showcase? Obviously, as teachers, we do do curriculum and like all that other kind of stuff. But like, yep. how do we accurately show it? Did you do any like upskilling or anything like yeah. that to kind of? Great question. And another area where I got lucky because I was moving into an ed tech company that was that needed specifically a middle school English expert. So I hit the sweet spot of like, I was a middle school English teacher. I knew how to do that. That's the kind of content that they were hoping to shift toward as a company. And so I was able to kind of prove my skills through the interview process, which included a project um, and and some sort of on the spot uh, curriculum design. But there wasn't, I think one of the things that's really hard with uh, teachers who are hoping, hoping to transition into instructional design of some sort is that there's a bit of a bias, at least Lena, you would probably know this better than I do, but my my take is that there feels like a, there's a bit of a bias against teachers um, trying to transition into that field because there's sort of a different set of tools um, and, and jargon that's used in instructional design that's more corporate versus in the educational sphere. So I know that if I had been applying to be like an instructional designer at, I don't know, 
Apple or just like any company that's not an education company, I would have had to do that upskilling. I would have had to to learn different, um, you know, software that's used to design sort of e-learning in a corporate context, even though the underlying skills would have been the same. The underlying skills of like teaching the audience, same deal. It wouldn't have mattered. I would have had to do that upskilling. That's something I try to tell teachers today that they can't just assume their teaching experience um, is going to translate to a hiring manager. Exactly. And I was actually just talking to someone today about their like career and like what kinds of t- they were asking. They want to transition into product management and they were asking me about, about like specific tools and things. And I said, yeah. here's the deal. Like as a teacher, yeah. if you were techie or if you incorporated like ed tech in your classroom, it's pretty yeah. easy to learn tools like yep. there just really isn't another way to like say it. But like you could learn all these other tools quickly. It's really about you understanding the jargon and the right jargon to use yeah. and how to translate that on your resume. Because if you don't know what Addy is and you want to be an instructional designer, then you're not going to really hit yeah. the marks in the in the like APS system or in the keyword search for recruiters, that sort of a thing. So that's kind of where that upskilling happens. Now, if you're an ed tech and you're an early stage startup, which Freckle was something before, wasn't it? Freckle, so it was originally named Front Row um, and then we were were renamed to Freckle and then acquired by Renaissance Learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we went through a a long, a lot of changes while I was there. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. And it's interesting you mentioned like, the specifically teachers who are interested in product management, because I do think that field, when when I compare curriculum design to product management, it's much harder for a teacher to just straight up break into product management um, because the the sort of matchup between the skills that you already are using and the new skills that you need is a little bit less less clear to people. And there's a lot of competition for entry-level product management roles. Um, I kind of tell, I kind of tell teachers that they're like, three ways that I think you can break into product management if it's something that you're really interested in. The first is what I did, which is you join a company as something else. um, And then you sort of gain trust within preferably a smaller company, preferably a startup, because then that's the kind of environment where you get more exposure to other kinds of roles. Um, And then you kind of learn, you talk to people, you become like a trusted source of information. You give the product team feedback about new features. Um, You talk to customers so that you really understand them and so that you really understand maybe the business side a little more, because I think that's something that teachers are often missing that's really critical to being a strong product manager is like not just what the users want, but what what features are really going to help the business bottom line. Um, So that's a great path. I highly recommend it. It's just kind of hard to predict, right? Like you can't say I'm joining this company and I'm definitely going to be switching into product management. Just give me time. Um, But that's one path. I think another path, if if you have the means, like really is going back to to school and getting like an MBA or a business degree. Unfortunately, that is still um, one of the ways or not unfortunately, but like it's it's definitely a, a thing that if if you're interested in, in making a career pivot, um, an advanced degree like that can help hiring managers kind of see past previous careers and like, and give you a shot. Um, other way. So if you're like, wait, no, I don't, I don't want to pay all of that money. Um, and I don't want to go work and do something else at a company. It's going to require a lot of hustle. Um, and you kind of have to do it's my best advice is to try to show that you already are doing the skills of a product manager in your life by like making your own product. It doesn't have to be like a, you don't have to go invent something, but like start a website, start a blog, start a YouTube channel, like 
show that you know how to take feedback in order to make something stronger and that you're, you know, solving, solving a pain point um, for people out there in the world, because then that'll kind of let you have a portfolio that you can show people and say, see, I'm doing this already, even though I don't um, have the job title. So it's, it's a little tough, but if, if that is a career path that you're interested in, I feel like those are the three, three key ways that, that you can do it. I think those are really great. <laughs> That's really great feedback because a lot of times people are like, oh, you know, I want to get into that. But the truth about product or project management is that there aren't a lot of those positions typically yeah. in a company. There's maybe like just a few a handful. So it can be really, really highly competitive to get into there if you don't have um that experience. And I always am pretty upfront with teachers like, hey, you need to know that this is a very competitive landscape, probably the most competitive out of like any of the like transitioning jobs, just because they are so limited. It's kind of like a PE teacher, right? Like yep. in schools, like they, they, they are there until they retire for the most part. Like yes, there's not like true. a lot of them. It's not a lot of availability. So um, I think you have to kind of think about it that way. And just like kind of knowing that that's the case. Um, and you said something about like, you know, doing some like extra education luckily now there are like google has some things from like yes. sarah there's like all kinds Definitely. of like different ways that you can hustle and do them really really quickly if you just yeah. need to do that but one common theme amongst everything that we talk about all the time anytime any kind of person that's even job hunting even going a lateral move is you have to hustle there isn't like yeah. another way to like say that with the world that we live in where it just used to be you dropped a resume off and you were like hey i'm here to like get like that doesn't exist now the opportunity of like digital roles is that it is not tied to like a specific region or you're just looking at people in texas or you're just looking at people in colorado you're looking at people all over it could even be worldwide right yes. so exactly yeah. that's yeah yeah it's it's really the case it's like the way that you're going to get the job and you know any of those thousands of other candidates aren't going to get it is that you're going to show that you have that extra something that extra hustle that extra experience that extra sort of attitude like all of those things really do matter what really like related to the hustle i feel like is the taking the time to build connections, because that is one of the things that really helps open the door. Um, I feel like the vast majority of when I just look at um, my friend's experience and just most most people I've talked to, the job they end up getting tends to come from a referral. Um, because if you think about it, if you have like a thousand plus applications to get through, you're going to look for any possible way to filter those down. And knowing that someone at your company can vouch for that person is a great way to filter it down and to distinguish between two people who are otherwise identical. And so it really is as awkward as it is and weird as it is. Part of the hustling is getting used to that, building that muscle of literally reaching out to strangers on LinkedIn and being like, hi, this is me. This is what I'm interested in. I'd love 15 minutes to talk to you and learn more about, about your field. It's It's like a it's a strange phenomenon, but it is absolutely critical to getting a job. So funny that you transitioned to that question because that's was about oh, to be my next sorry. question is how you kind of do that. No, oh. that's great. Um, is those and we call those informational interviews when you're just basically networking to get like information. You never know. Um, I recently brought on Daniela. She also works with yeah. us at Canva. Um, and she was talking about how that's like how she found her mentor um, to kind of help her in that field. So that's you never know where those relationships are going to take you. And I've had people, and I'm sure you too, working at Canva, obviously we're highly visible. Everybody knows Canva, yep. they wanna work at Canva. But sometimes I get messages in my inbox and they're like, hey, can you give me a job? Yeah. Um, no, 
because I don't know you and I'm not going to refer somebody that I don't know. That's just weird. Like I would, that would be like going on a first date and being like, Hey, do you want to get married right now? (laughs) It's like the same sort of thing. Like you don't know anything about this person. You're not going to make that kind of a risk. So I think what Lindsay is saying, like be connect for like, we say this connect with intention, make sure that what you're doing is intentional and it doesn't feel like you're being greedy because I, I say this all the time and people probably think I'm like going crazy now that I'm like saying this or like being rude, but like the truth is people come off greedy and nobody wants to connect with somebody who's greedy. That would be like you going to like an investor's pitch as like a, as a startup company and be like, Hey, do you mind giving me $1 million right now? You don't know anything about my company. Just give it to me. It just doesn't exist. Like you have to build intentional relationships, just like friendships. It's the same thing. It's an investment. Totally. And the other mistake I see often, it's like, Yes, there are the people who just message and and come across greedy. There are also the people who come across so broad or vague that it's really hard to give help. It'll be sort of a blanket message of, hey, I noticed that you work at Canva. I think Canva's so cool. I'm wondering what jobs might be a good fit for me. And it's like, (laughs) okay, well, you seem really nice. Um, I want to help. But like, I don't know anything about your interests, your strengths, your hopes, like, Canva is also a huge company with so many different kinds of departments that you can do. The job, Lena and I work with a similar set of users, but our jobs day to day look totally different, right? Like I have no idea sort of what to recommend to you. And so it is part of the reason that the soul searching is really that first step for any transition. It's like, you got to know, you got to know what, what you're asking, I think, before you, before you start reaching out to people. Are you asking for guidance about I know that this is the career path for me and I just need help getting to it. Or are you, are you trying to weigh between two different kinds of career paths and looking for feedback about the differences between them? Like all of those things are legitimate, but I think just knowing what questions you have is, is really key. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. The vague ones always give me too. I'm like, okay. And then I like write back, like, how can I help you? And they're like, I'm not sure. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Like I also can't like spend the time to like help you figure that out, like figure it out. And then we'll talk. I'm happy to help and grab grab a virtual coffee or whatever. Um, Okay. So the next question I have for you is, um, can you talk a little bit about like what a day-to-day or what your, basically what does a product manager do? Um, Obviously we know you speak with the product and things, but maybe a little bit more detail so people can understand that that's a right fit for them. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And I think uh, it's a great fit for people who are easily bored because it is very different day to day there. There isn't a super a super set routine, um, which is part of why I like it so much. Um, the kind of key responsibilities you have um, on the one hand, you really need to deeply understand user pain points. Um, so you're, you're kind of making sure that as the product evolves, um, it's solving real problems that users have. So that might look like actually talking to teachers or students or administrators, whoever sort of the primary users of your of your product are and interviewing them to understand more about their challenges. It might mean talking to the sales team to understand kind of the challenges they're having positioning the, the product out there in the world or the customer, the customer success team, basically making sure that you're in touch with um, the needs of customer facing teams uh, at your company. Um, it might mean doing some research into what other competitive products are doing. Um, to see how, you know, you can kind of maintain the edge or just sort of staying up to date um, with, you, you know, using your product, like trying it and saying, oh, this doesn't work so well, doing audits, uh, trying to trying to figure out um, what's sort of wrong. So that's, you know, identifying the user pain points um, is one piece. 
a big part of the job is kind of like the visiony storytelling piece. So taking, you know, taking those problems that you know are there, those those sort of business needs that are coming either from like the the company leaders um, or or you're helping to set those in terms of what metrics uh, you want to hit by the end of the year, like how much money you're trying to make, how many users you're trying to grow, um, and telling a really compelling story of how you know your the features you're going to prioritize are really going to um, help you help you get to that end goal and and give more value to users. Um, so making sure that leadership is on board, that the sales team's on board, that your engineers are on board, that the designers are on board, kind of getting everyone rowing in the same direction to, to tell that strong story. Um, and then the last piece. So, so I guess if you have the, like that digging for problems and you have like the telling story of your vision, the execution is actually a really big piece of it as well. So like every day I'm working directly with the software engineers and the designers who are actually the ones figuring out what, you know, Canva looks and feels like um, to solve those problems. So we're working in sort of these mini teams to plan out, plan out the delivery work, like plan out sort of these, these two week sprints um, and make sure that, that the engineers are, are unblocked and, and everything is, is tracking toward deadlines. So that's the piece of it. That's kind of the more project management um, aspect. So it's, it's kind of a lot. Um, it's super varied. I think a, a product manager is, is commonly, uh, it, it, you kind of do everything and nothing. Like you're kind of, you're at the end of the day, you're not the one building the application. You're not the one designing it. You're not the one selling it. Um, what you are is you're kind of the person who's, who's helping rally the team together to make sure that they're achieving as much as possible and that they're solving the right problems. Yep. And <laughs> I'm glad that you said that. So a lot of, t I had talked with a teacher just recently and she was like, yeah, I just, I just really want to do product management because I'm really good at telling them what's wrong with the product. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. okay, that's good. Um, but there's a lot more like to that. And a lot, a lot of times what people don't understand is that the changes that you make to a product are expensive. Yeah. So while a developer may be able to spend the time doing it, there's a certain amount of data that's needed. There's a certain yes. amount of time that's needed to invest in it. And you have to decide. Sometimes you may have like a list of things that like you really want to change. Like, oh, I want Always. this, this, and this to change. Always. But you have to prioritize what's going to make the biggest difference to the user because there's always hundreds of things we want to change, but what's going to have the greatest impact. And sometimes it's just, you have to be the bad cop and be like, you know what, that's okay. great feedback, but sorry, that's not on our roadmap for this, for this season or for this quarter um and it's you really sometimes that's the bad part <laughs> it's actually it's so great that you mentioned that because that was one of the hardest parts of the transition from the classroom to product management is that because i cared so deeply about solving pain for users it was often hard for me to let go of the little things that i knew were wrong because like like you said in software anything is possible like most of the time the request that you have if you put an engineer on it and gave them enough time, they probably could make it happen. Um, it's just, you're right. It's that question of priority and being able to develop that objective mindset where you're holding the user's needs in one hand and the business's needs in the other hand. Um, and also the fact that all of these different user needs um, can be in conflict with each other. You know, what a teacher wants might be different than what a district administrator wants might be different than what a parent wants. Um, and kind of holding those all in your head at the same time. Uh, was a really big challenge for me. And I think teachers who come in to, um, to ed tech with a really deep understanding of problems is great because I think one of the huge things you need as a PM is empathy. And so they have that empathy built in. 
it's that other thing that you have to build alongside that, which is sort of the business knowledge to understand that you can't actually solve all the problems. So which ones, which ones are you going to do first? I think you're, you're exactly right. Yeah. So you have to be ready that you're going to have some rejection and some people will be sometimes yep. upset at you. Um, so I think but that's across the board, Often. right? You have to have the resilience knowing that people are going to be upset, e even for me, yep. right? Like people are like, well, why aren't you doing this? I'm like, well, this is not going to have the greatest impact. So we actually need to go here first before we get to here. Um, yep. So that's just a little bit of management sometimes of people's feelings, which as a teacher, you yes. kind of are set up with dealing with those different stakeholders and, and letting them down easily, I think sometimes. Yes, <laughs> yes absolutely. Um, okay, great. So I'm really glad that you gave that insight. I think that's really, really important and, and it makes me happy and excited to be able to share that. Um, so Lindsay actually does do her own support of teachers and teachers who are transitioning. So Lindsay, do you want to talk a little bit about um, some either tips and tricks or just kind of tell us about some of the things that you offer for teachers as well? Yeah. Um, so I, to be, to be fully transparent, I was way better about this, uh, last year. So I started a newsletter and a website called transitioning teacher. Um, because I felt really, I, I honestly feel for all of you. It's really hard and it's only gotten harder in the past couple of years. So, um, I put together some resources that just helped me clarify what different ed tech jobs are available. Um, what, what kind of, if you're if you're making a resume from scratch or if you're trying to tweak your resume, some things to keep in mind, um, tips for networking, but also interviews with a lot of people with various uh, positions in education technology in particular, so that you can start uh, doing that research about which which field is right for you. Um, if you're still kind of doing that that soul searching phase, um, so hopefully there's stuff in there that that you all find valuable. And then I also send out um, regularly just sort of job uh, job postings that I, I think are good fits for transitioning teachers, um, just so that you all have a place to start. Um, and so, yeah, I've been uh, really excited to offer that for a while now. And then in addition, I'm always very open to, to anyone kind of reaching out to me on LinkedIn and, and using me as like a trial run for that uh, informational interview uh, skill that Lena, Lena has talked about. Um, always welcome, always excited to talk to teachers about, about their particular journey and, and what they're interested in. And ironically, I've been sharing this teacher, trans the transitioning teacher website for a while before I even knew Lindsay. And then I was like <laughs> looking at it one day and I was like going through my resources. I was like, oh my gosh, Wait, I know we work together. Girl. This is so weird. Like how weird I've been sharing this. And it's like, just, we didn't know each other obviously before working at Canva, but it's just funny that like we both basically have these like types of yeah. resources and things for teachers. It's, it's been really cool to find a kindred spirit here uh, who cares about <laughs> the same stuff. Well, awesome. Lindsay, I really, really appreciate um, you taking the time today. If you were to leave one last tip or trick for a teacher transitioner, what would it be? Oof. Uh, tips and tricks are, uh, it's so cliche, but I, I think staying patient with yourself is, is probably my biggest tip. Uh, a lot of teachers I know uh, get into the teaching field and they're really kind of driven, motivated, smart people who are kind of used to like, all right, I have a goal. I wrote it down. I'm going to check it off this week. And the thing is like building a new career is really challenging, especially in this climate. And so making sure that you don't think, you know, if you're struggling to get those first bites, 
and on interviews, if you're struggling to get to the final rounds of interviews, if you're struggling to even settle on, you know, what path, what path is right for you. Don't think there's like something wrong with you. Like this is really challenging what you're doing. Um, and there are a lot of obstacles in your way because of how teaching is unfortunately perceived in our society. And so stay positive and stay patient um, and balance, balance that with the hustle, because I, I just want everyone to know all, all of the teachers listening to this to know how capable you are of doing any of these jobs. It's just about, you know, giving it a little time and, and a little bit of grit, definitely. But yeah, you got this. So well said. And, and that's the reason why we do this and put out these interviews for you is just so you guys have a little bit of hope and hopefully um, know that despite whatever it is, there are lots of people that are willing to help you on the other side. So don't be yeah. afraid to reach out. Make sure, obviously we say, do it with intention. Don't be so vague. Make sure you're really being specific about things that you're wanting help and support with. Um, we'll make sure to link everything that we've talked about in today's episode in the show notes. Um, Lindsay, thank you so, so much for joining us today. And we thank will you, see Lena. everybody next time. Bye everybody. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much. You've made it this far. I appreciate all of your support. Please don't forget to like, share, subscribe, throw the comments below in the comment section. I'm always looking for new ideas and hot trends, or if you're looking to sponsor our podcast and video episodes, reach out to us on any of our social media channels, and you can even find us anywhere you find your podcasts. Once again, my name's Lena Marie Saleh, the EdTech Guru, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye everybody.